0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host Nina Turner, and you are watching Unabossed, one of the best hours of your day. So go ahead and call some folks, send them a text message, message in a bottle, whatever you need to do and let them know we are on. And joining me in the co-host chair today is Yasmin Khan. Yasmin, how are you doing? And she is a contributor on The Breakdown. What's happening over at The Breakdown? A
1: lot is happening on the breakdown, glad to be back on this show. Uh, I just did a piece about the symbiotic relationship between media and politics, which is relevant because of what we just saw with Tucker Carlson getting fired from Fox News. And today I did a video about the history of Christian nationalism in this country and how what we're seeing today isn't really anything new. So hopefully that'll be out soon.
0: Yeah, you guys better go and check that out and such timely topics, Yasmin. I can't wait to watch those too, especially the latter. Uh, Very, very important. Yeah. Yeah, well, so glad that you're here and Yasmin and I, we're going to be jumping into a whole bunch of stuff. For those of you who were watching a little earlier this week, you know that we started our tribute to the one and only Harry Belafonte. Mr. Belafonte passed away. Earlier this week at the age of 96 years old. Not only was he an actor, more importantly, he was an activist, and he was also a singer. And the way he describes himself is that he is an activist. He described himself as an activist first and an actor second. So we're going to dig in a little bit on his activism, such a giant, and his spirit continues to live on although he's in that ancestral plane. And then we'll discuss some updates about the former office Officer that fired the shot that killed Breonna Taylor. And later in the show, young activists call on President Biden to show that he has what it takes for real change in 2024. Now, don't forget to subscribe. If you are watching for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome to Unbossed. We are so glad that you are here. If you are a regular viewer, thank you so much for your support. Make sure you subscribe and hit the like button on YouTube whenever you get a chance. And more importantly, why don't you go ahead and become a member of TYT? We need you over here. Oh, we're going first to the iconic activist artist and singer. Mr. Harry Belafonte, as I mentioned in the opening of the show, passed away earlier this week at the age of 96. He was at his home in Manhattan and the cause of death was congestive heart failure. I want you to watch this from the 2005, a Congressional Black Caucus Town Hall. Look at what Mr. Belafonte had to say.
2: Harry Belafonte, thank you. Thank you for a lifetime of commitment and struggle. And it's a man who is the 21st century's example of the great Frederick Douglass, who speaks truth to power. And you should know that we not only appreciate it, but we respect what you do and what you stand for unbought, unbossed, and unbowed. That is unique in America today. Thank you.
0: Indeed, unique in America today. It was unique when those accolades were being spoken about Mr. Belafonte and still unique today. Unbossed, unbought, and unbowed. We're going to have to add something to the show. Unbossed, unbought, unbossed, unbowed. Absolutely. And his stature as an artist was huge. But his role in the civil rights movement was even greater. Mr. Belafonte always spoke truth to power, and going back to that 2005 video, I want you to watch this powerful story about a particular moment he remembers with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin said, "You know,
2: I've been thinking long and hard about our struggle. We worked. For tenaciously for our rights and uh, the culmination of all that effort will be reflected in what we've come to call the integration movement and I sit here deeply concerned that I suspect we are leading our nation on an integration trip that has us integrating into a burning house
0: So as Mr. Belafonte reflects on that and you can hear the emotion from the audience. I mean, people just paused. You definitely got to go back and watch this video in its full entirety. We are showing excerpts here. But as you heard or watching, if you could see the, the 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 sternness in Mr. Belafonte's face as he was recalling a conversation that he had with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was troubled and fearing that he was leading our people at that time, he was talking about Black Americans into a burning house. He spoke more to what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was referencing to, with that to which it was a powerful anthology and forewarning. Take a look. We were winning on a lot of frontiers. Bull Connor had been
2: confronted. The bus boycotts had worked. Votes were coming. Uh, Even Lyndon Baines Johnson had been uh, struck by the spirit and got up and talked about we shall overcome in the Congress. For Dr. King to have been in this place at a time when we seemed to have been making great headway was a moment to pause and reflect. That reflection has taken longer than I had suspected it would, but it has certainly come to reveal itself fully when we look The condition in which we find not only our world, but in particular, our nation.
0: Yeah, the conditions. And just go ahead and put Yasmin up. We're gonna jump right into this Yasmin. Before I go on with this segment, just really powerful words from Mr. Belafonte as he reflected on what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was agonizing over whether or not this experiment, this thing, this this how he was helping to lead Black people was it in fact the right thing to do? And also reflecting that so much of the conditions that Black people found themselves in. Now, Mr. Belafonte was at a, 200, a 2005. Let me remind people, Black. Caucus town hall and reflecting in that moment from conversations that he had with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the 20th century, right? And he's bringing that to bear in the 21st century. But I was really struck by the word the conditions really has not changed. And he said, although we've made a whole lot of progress, you know, it's just something not quite right about this moment. And I tell you, Yasmin, yeah, I, mean, I feel as though Doctor, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr's message and how Mr. Belafonte was revealing what Dr. King said to him, that it speaks to us to this very day, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned that I did a video this morning about the history in this country and it was so interesting because we talk about so many of these issues as if they're new, as if they're just coming up now and that they're like specifically relevant to this modern era, but really they're not, right? And if you look at whether it's race or religion or whatever it is in this country, if you go back tens or hundreds of years, you'll see that those issues were there in some way shape or form. But I, I do want to say I, I love that we're talking about Harry Belafonte today. He is somebody who actually had some significance in my life in a way that I don't think a lot of people might realize on a bit of a personal note. He was born in the US to parents who immigrated to the US from Jamaica. And I was born in the US to parents who immigrated from Guyana. And even though Guyana is geographically in South America, it's much more culturally similar to the West Indies because of the ethnic makeup and the shared histories regarding you know, slavery and indentured servitude and that kind of thing. So Harry Belafonte was a big deal in our community as well as in the black American community. And I remember my aunt actually told me a story one time and I think it was like back in the late 80s when he did a show in New York and my mom and her sisters went and they took my cousin with them, who was a small child at the time. And they got to meet him after the show. And my cousin looked at him and says, I saw you on Sesame Street. And he threw his head back and laughed, So he got a bit of a kick out of that. But you know, on a less personal note, I think one of the great things about Harry Belafonte is that he was a first generation American who fought as an American to make his home a better place. I think there's often a lot of unspoken emotional, maybe cultural baggage that first generation Americans can carry or hang on to that they inherited from their parents for better or for worse in terms of the immigrant struggle, you know, the struggle for acceptance, the struggle to not lose your cultural identity while assimilating into a completely different culture. It's something that I think about a lot, actually, if not almost always. But at the heart of that struggle is love, you know, you do it because you love this place. That is your home, however imperfect it may be. And because your parents fought and sacrificed to get you here. And for me, that's what Harry Belafonte represents. He represents all of that. So I'm, I'm glad to be honoring him today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We started yesterday, yes, but it just was not enough time, and so it was important to me to come back to this. This man certainly deserves so much more. And people may have noticed that the two there were two people on either side of Mr. Harry Belafonte. One was Senator Hillary Clinton, and the other was Senator Barack Obama. And this next clip certainly shows Mr. Harry Belafonte not missing any words when it comes to the truths of the establishment, establishment politics. And especially, especially the Democratic Party. Take a look. We have
2: a lot of wreckages
0: around this country. And perhaps the most
2: distracting and perhaps the most important wreckage to take a look at. is really the wreckage of the Democratic Party. Charlie, Charlie. This poverty that our country is witnessing has never gone away. Most of the politicians I know of have visited these places of poverty. They make it their business when they're running for the highest office in this nation to go into the heart of our pain, (laughs) our anguish, our indignities, and make promises only to walk into the places of power and then deny us. Part of the reason I'm here is to really look through the ravages of the Democratic Party and see if anything is really worth salvaging.
0: Ooh, we now y'all know that speaks to my soul, Mr. Harry Belafonte. Not mincing words, and it didn't matter to him who was on his left and who was in his right. Talking about people who get to places of power and then they forget the pain of the people. Laying it out. And one of the reasons why he indicted the Democratic Party so strongly is because over 90% of the African American community votes for that party. And I just, I just love the way that he just that honesty and just searing. Just and, and, and you could you could see, it. I bet you if Senator Hillary Clinton at that time and Senator Barack Obama, if they could, if they, they could just shrink off that stage, they would have because he was talking about them. And all the others too who were not on that stage by his side. What he had to say about the Democratic Party is absolutely timeless. Absolutely timeless and it means a lot. And to your point about the personal connection, I have somewhat of a personal connection to Mr. Harry Belafonte too, and you are right. He was able to bring the immigrant struggle and then just really engulf himself. And it's not an either or and engulf himself in the struggle. Of black Americans in this country. And it was seamless what he was able to do, that people in the immigrant country, very, uh, community, very proud the people of the black American community very proud. And Mr. Belafonte was right there every single step of the way for all communities fighting for a type of justice that we still need to ring true today. And so I'm glad that you brought up your personal note. And I had the great honor of meeting Mr. Harry Belafonte during the 2016 presidential election cycle. He was supporting, he did support Senator Bernard Sanders and we were at the historic Apollo theater and that was on April the 9th. April the 9th or yeah, April the 9th. In 2015, and, and there is it right there, the Apollo Theater. Bernie Sanders presents a community conversation. And I got to tell you, Yasmin, what made this so special was not only did Mr. Harry Belafonte support Senator Bernie Sanders, who in my mind was the best candidate in 2016, certainly the best candidate in, in 2020, but that he, we brought it to the community, you know, to the community of Harlem, and people from all ages and stages and walks of life came. I mean, it was standing room only and then also Erica Gardner. You may remember her father Eric Gardner who got choked out for some loose cigarettes in New York. Uh, Erica Gardner, I think that was probably one of the last, if it wasn't the last time, it was closest to the last time that I saw Erica before she passed away. And she was fighting so hard to bring justice to her father. She was actually in that theater as well. And we're going to share a few other photos. Uh, the person that was moderating this community conversation was none other than Charlemagne the God. <laughs> Leonard Larry McKelvey, AKA Charlemagne the God, one of the hosts of the Club, and as people can see, you are just getting a glimpse of the theater. It was really standing room only on that day. And I think that was the day actually that I met Charlemagne the God in person on that particular day. And then another photo I want to share is a picture of Mr. Belafonte and myself and also Kendrick Sampson, who is an actor and a young activist in his own right, very much walking in the footsteps of Mr. Harry Belafonte, Kendrick Andre don't miss no words either. I mean, he tells it like t it, i s, like it is, even though he is an actor and just so so proud. So it was an honor. And the love that we have for Mr. Harry Belafonte is just pouring out all over the world, not just this country. I just got I got a call on Wednesday as a matter of fact from folks across the the pond. Wanting me to interview and talk about the greatness of Mr. Harry Belafonte could not fit that in the schedule for that day. But I'm hoping to have another opportunity to do so. And so let's remember Mr. Belafonte with some tweets from other leaders across this country. And let's just go ahead and put some of those up. We have the one and only the great, the great Dr. Cornell West. And he said, I am deeply sad at the loss of my very dear brother, the great Harry Belafonte. His artistic genius, moral courage and loving soul shall live forever. God bless his precious family. Only Dr. Cordell West can put those words together like that. Let's go to our next. Person, and that is Senator Bernie Sanders. Harry Belafonte was not only a great entertainer, but he was a courageous leader in the fight against racism and worker oppression. Jane and I were privileged to consider him a friend, and we And we'll miss him very much. And that hug, that greeting that everybody sees and I'm just smiling Yasmin as I talk about it was at the Apollo Theater. I mean, it was a really, really great night. And then the next tribute that we have is coming from Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. When I was a child, Harry Belafonte showed up for my family in very compassionate ways. In fact, he paid for the babysitter for me and my siblings. Here he is mourning with my mother at the funeral service for my father at Morehouse College. I won't forget. Rest well, sir. And for those you people may not necessarily be able to see the depth of that picture, but there are tears in the eyes of Mr. Harry. Belafonte at that funeral service. And then lastly, my stunt double in Mr. Belafonte's own words, he said the following, I was an activist who became an artist. I was not an artist who became an activist, Harry Belafonte, Mr. Belafonte, just so much love to you and to your family. We know that you are on the ancestral plane and yes, sir, rest in peace and also rest in power. We're going to keep the fight alive. Oh, we're moving now from this wonderful story and tribute. I'm trying to let it settle in because Harry Belafonte was just such an amazing, amazing, an amazing light to some news about the police officer that shot Brianna Taylor, so the former Louisiana, Louisville police officer who fired the fatal shot that killed Brianna Taylor has a new job in law enforcement. And how on earth does this happen? Check out this headline right here: XLMPD officer who fired shots that killed Brianna Taylor hired by another police department. And here are the details from AP News associate. Associated Press, the Carroll County Sheriff's Office on Saturday confirmed the employment of Miles Cosgrove, who was fired from the Louisville Metro Police Department in January of 2021. For violating use of force procedures and fell into use a body cam during the raid on Taylor's apartment. Investigators said that Cosgrove fired 16 rounds into the apartment after Taylor's front door was breached during a narcotics raid on March 13th, 2020. Thinking an intruder was breaking in. Taylor's boyfriend fired a shot from a handgun at the officers. Officers Jonathan Mattingly was struck in the leg and the officers returned fire, killing Taylor in her hallway. Now obviously people showed up in downtown Carlington Monday morning to reject, to object to Uh, the hearing, here is some of what they had to say. I think he should be in jail. It is absolutely ridiculous that Cosgrove is policing our town and that's coming from Haley Wilson, a 24 year old resident. And how did he get the job? Inquiring minds wanna know and we're gonna go into this a bit here in November. The Kentucky law enforcement council voted not to revoke Cosgrove State Peace Officer certification. Meaning he could apply for other law enforcement jobs in the state. And according to a local news outlet, WKLY, the Carroll County Chief stated, we're going to give him a chance. Well, Yasmin, look, I am certainly I'm almost speechless about this, certainly one for giving people another chance. But in this particular case right here, let's give him another chance to find a new profession, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, second chances shouldn't come so easily when your first mistake resulted in you killing someone in their own home and it wasn't like it was an accident. It wasn't like his actions just led to her getting killed, he did it. He went to her apartment, he busted in, and he pulled the trigger. What happened to Breonna Taylor never should have happened and it involved such failure on so many people's parts that none of those people deserve to be in positions of authority again. This cop should not be trusted with people's actual lives because we saw how badly he betrayed that trust before. We saw how unworthy he was of the authority that he was given. But unfortunately, this was all too predictable. We all saw this kind We've seen this happen time and time again. We've seen things like this get reported on and then we've seen those stories disappear into the ether, which is what makes them think that they can continually get away with these things. Police departments need to be held accountable for their actions and for their misdeeds. And they need to be held accountable by someone outside of that police department. I don't know how departments are able to do internal investigations on themselves. And when we talk about systemic issues within policing, this is what we're talking about. The one bad apple argument no longer holds any weight when an entirely different police department a town over decides to forgive and forget as if nothing ever happened and they're not making any efforts to course correct as they go. They're just rehiring.
0: Yeah, well, amen to that, Yasmin. I totally agree with you. We had a similar situation here in Northeast Ohio, where the police officer who put Yasmin back up, please, where the police officer who killed, who shot and killed Tamir Rice, the the twelve-year-old boy that was on the playground. He came from a department in Independence, Ohio, I believe, and was hired by the Cleveland Police Department. And in his jacket it really made it clear that he should not be a police officer, that he was quick to shoot. And I'm paraphrasing what was in that jacket, but pretty much that's what they said. Now, that police department actually, Yasmin did the right thing by saying, hey, this dude probably shouldn't be a police officer. We don't know if he is police officer material, whether he should be one. You know, They wrote that down in some kind of way, he slipped through the cracks and was hired by the Cleveland Police Department. And then ended up shooting young Tamir Rice. So I agree with you so quickly, so fast, these things like this happen. I personally want to see a database of officers, law enforcement officers period. No matter if they're police departments or sheriffs, wherever they come from. Cuz law enforcement can be multiple places. That that, that there's a nationwide database for law enforcement agencies to pull from your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me that it took that cop having something that blatant and that obvious before they were like, maybe we shouldn't give this guy a gun and maybe we shouldn't let him police our community. You know, I don't know the details of what it takes to become a cop like that, but I feel like there's not enough of a background check or something, some kind of mental health check. To that, why do we have? So many of these unqualified people policing our communities. But what it comes down to is that it's a whole culture of policing. It's not the individual cops. And I think that's a problem with the way that we tend to approach a lot of problems in this country is that we focus on individuals and individual cases instead of taking a step out zooming out looking at everything from the big picture and saying this is what's wrong with it. This is why we keep running into these same problems. And I think in the case of cops, I think it's fine to say that you're not cut out for a certain line of work. I think people change careers all the time. I've done it, I'll probably do it again someday. We need to normalize career
0: changes for cops. Yeah, that is a great, great point Yasmin. And the fact about the psychological testing, I believe that officers should get it on a regular basis and not because, because the job is stressful. I mean, if we solve for you know the inequities, the, the racism and bias, the anti-blackness, if we put that stuff in the parking lot just for a second, not for too long because we can't hey. separate that out. But we just put park it just for a little bit, it is a hard job. And it's very stressful and over time, you're right, things change. And so what better way to protect members of law enforcement who are out on the streets on a regular basis and also protect the community than to make sure that they are psychologically evaluated on a regular basis. And dedicate a whole division to doing that, where that that, that division doesn't do anything else, but they do that that thing right there, that would be helpful. To me, it's not just one thing. It's going to be multiple things to help us transform as one of my dear friends Dr. Ronnie Dunn always says to transform policing in this country. And I firmly believe that it is bigger than officers as you just said. We got to transform the entire legal system itself. And then in other news to follow up right along with this, Kim Porter, the officer convicted of killing Dante Wright, was released from prison, and there she is, right there. Why are these people who have, you know, just they, they, they didn't do the job, they murdered other people, being released and and just so quickly? As Yasmin laid out, most the average person will not get an opportunity, a second chance, so quickly. But yet and still, we give them these kinds of chances. I hate to think. Well, you know what? I'm gonna leave that alone. But Yasmin, any final thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I would love to see something like what you described. And we all know that the police have the budget to make something like that happen. It really just comes down to where their priorities are. And from what we've seen, it's not on the mental or emotional well being of their Mm -hmm. cops, or the mental and emotional well being of the people that they're policing. These towns, like it's like that quote that you had from that girl who lives in the town where the cop was now rehired, and she's terrified. You know, we don't talk about that enough either. (laughs) You know, like there's so many angles to this story, and it's all a problem. But you know, we have the budget to to address these these issues.
0: Oh, there it is. The team put it it back up, you know. I think I put that back up to him. That was great. I think he should be in jail. It is absolutely ridiculous that Cosgrove is policing our town, and that is Haley Wilson, a 24-year-old resident. I mean, Haley said it. She summed it up. It is absolutely ridiculous. He needs to find another profession. And I'm not even so sure, like what what real consequences this officer faced for doing what he did. Well, unfortunately, to be continued, and we'll stay up on this stories, this story and others just like it. So, Representative Nancy Pelosi despises Medicare for all. She has made it clear over and over again, never using her power to to push it, doing everything in her power to prevent it, and it will always have me asking, WTF, neoliberal?
2: We will now. Neil. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema. No, I have a problem figuring out whether you're for me Trump and you ain't
3: black. I'm not a big fan of Medicare for all. I mean I welcome the debate. I think that we should have health care for all. I think that the affordable care benefit is better than the Medicare benefit, but it is expensive. Who pays is very important. What are the benefits that come in there?
0: Lord have mercy on my soul. I'm not for Medicare for all, but I'm for all people having health care and who's paid pays for it and it's very expensive. Yeah, it is. But the military industrial complex is very expensive too. And leader Pelosi, Representative Pelosi didn't blink an eye. Her and her colleagues in a bipartisan way. They always find a way to enrich the military industrial complex. And who pays for it? It's about a social contract because we're already paying right now. The way that we commodify health care in the United States of America is untenable. And listen to me, sisters and brothers, family and friends, we're paying anyway. So why not pay in a way that edifies Trust and believe me, we're paying. You just don't see it, but we're paying. I mean, what it just what she just said there just absolutely makes no sense. So that was Leader Pelosi in 2020, and her ongoing mission of rejecting Medicare for all is now being rewarded by you know what industry, the hospital lobby. Put up this headline, team: Pelosi gets hospital lobbyist award after blocking reforms. I mean, we can't make this stuff up. A top lobbying group for hospitals on Monday gave Nan- Representative Nancy Pelosi, Democrat from California, an award for her quote, incredible efforts in advancing healthcare, end quote. After the former House Speaker spent the past four years fulfilling the industry's top legislative priority, blocking consideration of Medicare for all or any other major reforms to the insurance based health care system. Now the lobbying group in question is the American Hospital Association, which put out this tweet. Congratulations to the 2023 AHA award of honor recipient speaker emerita Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi's incredible efforts in advancing health care throughout her career have helped provide affordable health coverage for tens of millions more. Americans. I sighed deeply, y'all. I was trying not to. And then when the lever, our friends at the lever, shout out to David Sorota and the team over there at the lever, when the lever tried to access the event, what happened is atrocious. The lever was denied access to the war ceremony event at the A. AHA's annual meeting at the Marriott Marquise in downtown Washington on Monday evening. When our researcher arrived at the event, an AHA staffer said he would contact or connect him with the communications representative. But instead, a hotel manager then approached and threatened to have the researcher arrested if he did not leave because he had not registered earlier. For the event, Yasmin, I, 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 I'm telling you, shaking my head and sign at the same time. I want to throw some papers. I probably will before the show is over.
1: Yeah, you know, Nancy Pelosi represents to me a woman who was once good at her job, you know, at one point, and is now incredibly just out of touch with modernity to the point that she shouldn't really be in a position of authority anymore. She represents the, the corporate career politician, the politician who works more for personal gain rather than for the betterment of the people she serves, which makes you wonder why did you get into government if that isn't what you're trying to do? At this point, it's abundantly clear that uh, these groups that lobby on behalf of America, on, on behalf of their own systems, right? They are the ones who are infiltrating the American system, the American governmental system to the point that it is creating problems for the average American citizen and people like Nancy Pelosi Are not helping. She exemplifies what we're talking about when we say that the modern Democratic Party is barely considered to be left wing. They are centrist, if not a little right. The American hospital system doesn't serve the needs of the American people the ways that it could and should. It's extortionist, it's exploitative, and it's able to function that way because politicians in Washington allow it and even enable it to do so. You know, we've like we've been calling for better health care in America for years. And those calls have fallen on deaf ears and they keep telling us that it's expensive. We already pay astronomically higher prices for medical care. That is not astronomically better than that which people in other similar nations pay and receive. Then we're told that it's the best that our government can do. And that isn't the case and we know it isn't the case. It's just the best that they're willing to do.
0: That's exactly right, Yasmin. Oh my God, I I just came with these people, and 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 for decades, actually, been fighting for this. I mean, even under President FDR, you know, this this thing started. It's been a long time, decade after decade, generation after generation. And you know what? We're not going to stop fighting. So the AHA, you know, the American Hospital Association, they spend millions attacking the affordable. Care, or excuse me, spend millions attacking Medicare for all, no doubt there, because that system would mess up the good thing that they got going on. And additionally, the AHA spent millions on campaigns attacking Medicare for all. Let's take a look at this. The AHA, which raised $129 million in 2021, is a powerful Washington lobbying operation that represents large hospital chains like Common Spirit, Health Ascension, and Tenant Healthcare. The AHA is part of a healthcare industry coalition made up of insurers, pharmaceutical firms and hospital companies that spent 81 million from 2018 to 2021 on a TV and lobbying campaign opposing Medicare for all. And I'm old enough to remember what they did in California. I mean, they really got all up in California. That has been the closest chance that we have had, and they were there. I mean they were there really ramming and and shaking it up in a negative way to try to prevent a Medicare for all type system to happen in the great state of California but nothing nothing none of this is new in a particular relationship between Representative Pelosi and the AHA now let's take a trip back to 2019 when Tom Nichols the former AHA executive vice president spoke in a similar setting at a DC gathering Tom Nichols the American American Hospital Association's Executive Vice President for Government Relations spoke. At the organization's annual conference on Monday, a day before Pelosi addressed the same Washington DC ballroom. And Nichols said at the time, we're going to hear again from Mrs. Pelosi tomorrow. She's trying to thread the needle here, and she understands the difficulty that Medicare for All will provide for her caucus and for some of her members and making sure that nothing comes up that harms her members. Put Yasmin up, let's just go on in here before we go to our next story here. Jasmine, put that quote back up too, that's it, let's just go ahead and pick that thing apart, all right, I am gonna throw papers, we're going to hear Again, from Mrs. Pelosi tomorrow. She is trying to thread the needle here, and she understands the difficulty that Medicare for All will provide for her caucus and for some of her members. Let's just go and stop right there, Yasmin. For her caucus, for her members, and basically to hell with the American people. The fact that we have millions of people in this country underinsured and uninsured. And as you pointed out, Yasmin, that we as an industrialized nation pay more money for health care. Than any other industrialized nation on the face of the earth and our outcomes are not better. It is cruel and unusual punishment. And Yasmin, these are the same folks that will stand up there and quote the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who talked about of all the injustices he has seen. By far, what happens in healthcare is among the worst. And other freedom fighters and trailblazers, the National Nurses United who have been fighting for Medicare for All for a very long time on the front line. Shout out and big ups to the nurses. We have doctors who are on the Front lines of this fight too, but this person right here, this Tom Nichols, made it very clear. Let me say it one more good time. We're going to hear again from Mrs. Pelosi tomorrow. She's trying to thread the needle here, and she understands the difficulty that Medicare for All will provide for her caucus and for some of her members who have who who have to go get reelected. And my guess is she's going to be pretty adept in making sure that nothing comes. Up to harm her members. Let's go ahead and underline it, underscore, bold it, message in a bottle on a plane and on a train. Now, I told y'all on Unbossed, we don't play games. When it's time to show the requisite emotion, we must show it. This is it. And yes, man, it's not just in healthcare. This is how these people roll on most of the issues that would benefit Americans, no matter how they align politically. But there it is right there. Tom Nichols said the quiet part out loud. Your thoughts. Yasmin, before we go to our next segment, and I am going to throw my papers.
1: Uh, It's true, she is adept at doing what she needs to do for the people that she chooses to represent. And unfortunately, those people are not us, they're not the American people. They're her caucus members and the people that would benefit her the most directly. And it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about just now with Harry Belafonte. When he was standing up on that stage with Hillary Clinton and Obama both senators at the time and how he was kind of alluding to the fact that if you are in a position of power, you tend to become more isolated from the people that you came from the people that you went there to represent the people who maybe you once cared about. But once you got into office for one reason or another, you got sidetracked, you got distracted from whatever your original mission was. And that's why it's so rare and so valuable whenever you do find a politician who makes it into a position of power and doesn't forget their constituents, doesn't forget the reasons why they made it there in the first place. And I think Nancy Pelosi has just honestly been in that position for far too long and her. Her motives have changed, her goals have changed, her values have changed. But it's like what you mentioned earlier, this situation that we're in right now is completely untenable. Americans are unhealthier. Than Europeans, and there's a few reasons for that. You know, we have too much sugar in our foods. Our cities are woefully unwalkable. But a big part of it is that Americans do not go to the doctor. We can't afford to, even while paying for health insurance. We have to fight health insurance companies every time we try to use that healthcare that we're already paying for, which contributes to a culture that's already highly stressed out. And the unhealthier we get, the more expensive it gets for healthcare in this country. That's it's an right. unsustainable, unsustainable way to run a country. So I'm kind of glad that Nancy Pelosi is now taking a smaller role in government.
0: Yeah, but she's still got that same influence, yeah, mean, it don't matter. The title doesn't matter, the influence is what matters. She knows
1: that too,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's still very much the speaker, make no mistake about it. She is in the shadows. And let's put up the graphic team of Medicare for all. Let me, let's remind people where the American people stand on this. 55% Medicare for all where Americans would get their health insurance from the government. All voters 55% Democrats 79% Republicans 28%, this is coming from the morning consult. But as we can see, Representative Pelosi and the rest of them are not in line. And Republicans too, we ain't gonna let them fools off the hook either. They not in line with where the American people are. And when Leader Pelosi, when she says that it's too expensive, that's another lie. Let's put this up. A recent study by Yale um, epidemiologists found that Medicare for All would save around 68,000 lives a year while reducing U.S. healthcare spending by around 13%, or $450 billion a year. That is coming from Public Citizen. What is expensive is to allow millions of people in this country to languish and not be able to afford healthcare. Health is wealth, and if people are healthier, they're more vibrant. They can do so many more things with their lives, both personally and professionally. It's called a social contract, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Y'all go ahead and wrap your minds around all you've heard from Yasmin and myself in this first segment. Yasmin, it was so great having you on the show. I know that we have an interview coming up. Cannot wait till you are back again and make sure you all go and watch the videos that Yasmin has recorded about the issues and Yasmin remind us about those issues again.
1: Yeah, you can check out my videos on the TYT YouTube channel for the breakdown specifically. And as I mentioned earlier, I just did a video on the symbiosis, the relationship between media and politics and how they are very much uh, interlinked with one another. And I also have a video coming out about the history of Christian nationalism in this country, just to prove that this is nothing new. This is an
0: ongoing fight that we are fighting. There it is, nothing new under the sun, baby. Fighting the same fights. All right, Yasmin. You take it. Thanks this for hair. having me. Yeah, my pleasure. We'll be right back after this. I gotta gather my papers. Yes. And welcome back to the show. Going straight to comments, TYT members, Mo Freery. <laughs> hey Mo. Nina and Yasmin, two of the most beautiful progressive minds in the world, give us that knowledge, ladies. Thank you, Mo. Ain't nothing like beauty and brilliance all wrapped together. We received that, Mo. Thank you. And on Twitch, Neon Death. Hey, Neon Death. Fire extinguisher at the ready. You got that right, Neon. I didn't pull it out today, but it's right. It's right next to me. And who's your daddy? <laughs> hey, who's your daddy? Nancy Pelosi is the Mother Teresa of insider trading. Oh, Who's right? You gotta do Mother Teresa like that, but I, I get what you're saying. And then on YouTube Super Chat, Thomas, love the show and the senator. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, who's your daddy? Neon Def and Mo Fury. Thank each and every one of you for watching the show and for sharing your comments. Now I got an interview for you, the lady that I'm bringing up next is a champion, an anti-war activist and so much more. My dear Benjamin is the co-founder of a woman led peace group, co Pink. She is also co-founder of the human rights group, Global Exchange. The Peace in Ukraine Coalition, unfreeze Afghanistan, which advocates for returning the $7 billion of Afghan funds frozen in US banks. She is a co-founder. I mean, dear, I don't know how you had time to sleep at all. And she is currently more importantly on a book tour with her new book, War in Ukraine, making sense of a senseless conflict and this book is an examination of the events leading up to the 2022 conflict between Russia and Ukraine. The different parties involved and the risk of escalation and the opportunities for peace. I want us to underline and bold and underscore that my dear, because so many people do not talk about that part, the opportunities for peace. So in your new book, War in Ukraine, you and your co-author Nicholas Davies assert that the war between Russia and Ukraine is more complicated than most people understand, more complicated than most people even get the information about. That this is not just about good guys versus bad guys, or bad guys versus good guys, that Russia, and or about Russia being bad or Ukraine being and good. Why isn't it as simple as good and bad? What are the key variables about this war that so many people are getting wrong? Well,
3: certainly we say Russia bad and that they never should have invaded and that was a brutal, illegal, immoral invasion that is hurting so many people every day. But we put it in context, the context of why nato expanded to russia's borders when it promised it wouldn't why the us was involved in the internal affairs of ukraine getting mucked up in the 19 in the 2014 maidan uprising getting involved early on instead of the implementation of the Minsk accords sending weapons and training military uh, and then when the war broke out why didn't the US get involved in trying to find a solution instead stop the negotiations that were going on with the Turkish government? And more recently, we see the Chinese coming out with a peace proposal that both the and Putin saying looks promising and the US is saying, no, I don't think so. So our whole thing is to say, what should we be doing to push our government to be part of the solution?
0: Yeah, amen, indeed. And and what's the end? I mean, speaking of end, you know, the whole notion of endless wars, which you have been on the front lines pushing back against that with so many other folks. Why is it that you think Americans, that we Don't necessarily get the dynamics. I mean, some people are so giddy about the bloating of the industrial, the military-industrial complex. They fear and feel like we must do this all the time. And I really believe that that is really what keeps a hold on the American psyche. And the same can be said for what is happening in the Ukraine. I mean, certainly Ukraine is our ally. There's no doubt about it. That Russia was wrong all day long, twice on Sunday. No doubt about that as well. But how do we sustain something like that? I mean, I don't see the United States in any way talking about finding a diplomatic solution. And that is troubling.
3: No, and where are the progressive Democrats in Congress, Nina? At one they came out back in October with a letter, 30 of them signed saying time for negotiations. But they got so much pushback within their own party, they took back the letter. And since then, almost all of them have been silent, leaving this to mostly extreme right wing Republicans to come out with the most rational position saying, we need negotiations. So we need to get these Democrats, we need pressure on them. So they hear from the American public, Only 48% of Americans now wanna keep sending weapons to Ukraine. So why don't we see any questioning of this? in the Congress coming from any of the Democrats. And that's why I'm traveling around the country saying, hey, put the pressure on all of them, Democrats, Republicans, whoever. What we gotta do is hear more of them speaking up and pushing the White House to say, get on the peace train, get involved in finding the solutions instead of just fueling this war that the Pentagon we see from those leaked Pentagon papers, Nina, said is a stalemate.
0: Yeah, absolutely on that. And you know, the uh, since the war began, I want to put up this: the Council on Foreign Relations. Since the war began, the Biden administration and the U.S. Congress have directed more than 75 billion in assistance to Ukraine, which includes humanitarian, financial, and military support, according to the Kiel Institute for the World Economy, a German research institute. So, certainly, nobody, you know, Americans are very much supportive of helping our allies, no doubt about it. Uh, This question. Question for me, why is it in so many ways in your mind? Because you are certainly an expert in this area. While we can get Republicans and Democrats to galvanize over the military industrial complex, but they don't have that same fervor and precision when it comes to domestic issues. You know, I'm thinking child tax credit, I'm thinking about continuing to give people, American people, relief from the COVID epidemic, which is not. Over. Why don't we see, and we can go on and on, why don't we see that same fervor and determination and willingness to spend money when it comes to the domestic side of the ledger and also the peace side of the ledger?
3: Well, we are in the grips of this military industrial congressional complex that we were warned about by Eisenhower back in the 60s. And it's bigger and more powerful than ever, so that now we have almost a trillion dollar budget. When we need this money for so many other things that you talk about all the time, Nina. So the figures are now over $100 billion has gone to (laughs) Ukraine. But as you well know, we can't find the money to help people in our cities. But I do want to say that the mayor's conference has said, we need money at home, find a solution in Ukraine. 1500 faith based leaders have said, we need to stop the killing. Let's get involved in, in peace talks. Uh, we have environmental leaders coming out and saying this is catastrophic for the environment, we have to do something. So we got more and more people coming on board, but it's just not getting to the members of Congress or the White House. Anybody that wants to join us, you can go to code pink or peace in and join
0: our coalition. Thank you so much for that, my dear, and we will certainly have you back again. Team put up the book again one more time as we close out the segment. War in Ukraine, making sense of a senseless conflict pick it up and get involved. My dear Benjamin, it was such a pleasure to have you on your show, and we will definitely have you back and good luck on your book tour. And that is our time today, and we're so glad that you all joined us, so glad to have Miss Benjamin with us as well, and Yasmin, and you, all of you as well, you make the show pop, baby. Now, you know what I want you to do about this time. I always, always want you to keep the faith, but more importantly, I want you to keep the fight on the good side of the ledger. All right, until next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable
2: with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and the Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.